The following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm Chapter 6 Kobolds and Ministrations In short order, the tribe descends upon the kobolds, taking the knife to them and procuring fresh strips of dog meat from their fallen forms. There are no words exchanged and no time lost for the scent of the kill will soon bring other threats down upon them. The meat is revolting, but it must be accepted, and they, who have lived their lives in fear, in the dark, for as long as they can remember, understand this as a given. This is an opportunity to survive, and as such, it must be grasped with both hands and held fast, never to be let go. With equal efficiency, the tribe works through the kobold's gear, passing weapons from hand to hand, silently sizing up the takings as much by instinct as by consensus. Treya, who can make best advantage of its range in the dark, favors the crossbow. Temek takes the short sword and Echo the knife. Len holds the mace, Stockholm the hammer, and there are belts and pouches. Kailana and Echo dress each other playfully, almost ritualistically in these, the first raiments they have ever owned. Echo kneels and pulls the strap around Kailana's hips, then closes the buckle snugly at the center of the other girl's stomach. Kailana, in gratitude for her sister's attention, slides the pouch to the side of her hip, then to the back, as if to best appreciate each possibility smiling, feeling human. Stockholm and Treya post themselves as sentries, while Len makes use of the moss they found in order to tend to the wounds of the male, Solus. She can feel his breathing as she moves her hands over his chest, searching for the places where the kobold's knife has cut him. Expertly, she finds these, and though the blood still escapes his body, the flow of it has lessened and so Len focuses her efforts on cleaning him before holding pressure against his wounds. And you, sister? says Solus to her. Are you okay? He reaches out, and she winces as he touches her. Oh, your shoulder, he says. It has been bruised badly, and he is not sure if it is broken. They are both silent, for truly there is nothing else he can do for her. But then Solus places his hand on her forearm, and there it stays for a long while as she tends his wound. Somehow then, not alone in the dark, the pain for either of them is not so hard to face. I am your maze master, Abel Enzo, and I welcome you today, my friends, to episode six of The Iron Realm. Hour by hour, the characters have made their way deeper and deeper through the endless chasms, tunnels, caves, and corridors of the universe we call the Iron Realm. In need of water, and with the hunter released now into the maze, the characters struggle onward, hoping to secure any advantage that they may in order to survive a little longer.
join me today. Their quest and yours continues. Character 8 Last time on Character 8, we talked about write-ups and how you can use them in order to role-play your character. Today, our topic is adventure, and I will be offering you nine strategies that you can use when creating your own adventure write-up. The Iron Realm is endless, as are the possibilities for adventure within. Through the lens of Character 8, you can explore your take on the Iron Realm. Bring depth to your own experience of the podcast by letting your own stories be told. Use each episode of the podcast as your own inspiration or jumping off point for the writing of your own adventures. Strategy 1. Consider the scene. Where will your adventure take place? You can use a location already detailed in the podcast, such as the Crystal Room or the Goblin Pits. If you do this, rewrite the scene as faithfully as you can, while including your own character. Or, you may decide to write your own version of events. Alternatively, instead of choosing a setting that has been described on the podcast, why not come up with something new? A side corridor, an undescribed encounter, a little-known corner of the Iron Realm, never before seen on the podcast. Strategy 2. Consider the plot. What will happen during the course of your write-up? Will it be a big battle? Will it be a heated argument? Or perhaps it will be a character interaction? Whatever the plot you choose, consider a beginning, middle, and an end to the story you wish to tell. Strategy 3. Conflict. Tales of adventure are most interesting when there is a problem to be solved or a challenge to overcome. Whether the conflict is grand or subtle, consider it while creating your write-up. Being aware of the conflict or conflicts you have chosen will allow you to create the most excitement possible in your write-up. Strategy 4. Resolution The resolution is actually closely connected to the conflict. For whatever problem or challenge is being faced, how will it be solved? Although it's possible a resolution won't be reached during any given story, perhaps being left for a future tale, the way a character or a group comes to grips with the conflict is perhaps more interesting in the long run than the conflict itself. Strategy 5. Dialogue. Dialogue is a helpful way to bring out the thoughts and feelings of other characters. A well-written dialogue can definitely bring characters alive. Use dialogue to demonstrate a dynamic between your character 
and another of the tribe. Or perhaps you can go further and demonstrate an entire group dynamic by careful choice of the words they say and the motivations that are expressed. Strategy six, think about the action. At least as interesting as what your character says is what your character does. The actions of your character will allow you to demonstrate whether character eight is decisive, cautious, careful, or heroic. The action or actions taken during a write-up can easily become the spotlight of the adventure. Strategy seven, show, don't tell. In your writing, it's very tempting to use a line like, character eight becomes enraged. But wouldn't you say, it's much more colorful when you let the reader draw his or her own conclusion. Character 8 grasps tightly the hilt of his blade and draws it out in a hurried motion, glaring down at any who approach. Strategy 8. Draw upon past roleplay. One way to hold listener interest is to refer from time to time to write-ups you've done in the past. Perhaps you have a continuing story weaving through each chapter of your write-ups. A reader who feels she already knows what is going on will be ever more invested in your tale when you pick up where a previous thread left off. Strategy 9. Foreshadowing. Not dissimilar to the last strategy, feel free to give your listener something to look forward to in your adventure write-up. No need to defeat all the villains. No need to solve all the problems. No need to answer all the riddles. Leave some tension in your tale and a hint of more to come by ending your story with a cliffhanger or else alluding ominously to a story which has not yet been told. With these nine strategies, you should definitely have a jump on creating your own adventure write-ups. Of course, more important than using any of my suggestions is for you to simply pick up your pen and write. Secrets of the Maze Master, Maze Master, Maze Master. In consideration of the tribe's search for food and water, today's topic is deprivation. I'm going to focus on food, water, and sleep as it relates to the characters in the maze. In the Iron Realm, resources of all kinds are extremely limited. Wars between the maze inhabitants break out commonly, for each wants his share of food and water, gold, stone, space, and other resources. For inspiration, I took a look at various old-school source material, yet though most rules do refer to certain kinds of rations for characters, and though the rules highly imply that the characters require these, there is little, if any, mention made as to what occurs should the characters ever run out. In many games that I have played, the game master simply glosses over food and water, assuming that the characters have it in endless supply. I think this gives players a pass on perhaps the most urgent struggle that any might encounter in dangerous locales of the fantasy world. 
No such pass is given in the Iron Realm. <laughs> I also searched for inspiration in various old-school gaming survival guides. Yet, the rules on the matter, though they did exist, were convoluted, complicated, and, in my opinion, not nearly harsh enough. Ultimately, the resources I drew from most when developing the rules on deprivation were various survivalist websites. That is why, in the Iron Realm, the first rule of deprivation is the rule of three. A human or demi-human can go three days without water, three nights without sleep, or three weeks without food. Although possible to stretch past this limit, Dire consequences arise, should a character do so. Before I detail those consequences, let's talk for a moment about what a human or demi-human's needs are for food, water, and sleep. Regarding food and water, a character must eat and drink once a day, at a minimum, to stay fit. Some kinds of food may be contaminated or unsuitable for consumption, though a desperate character may risk it anyway. Ill effects from taking unsuitable food range from malnourishment to suffering poison or worse. Water can be contaminated too, either fouled, containing salt, or being infected with a pathogen. Sometimes a character can get by taking less than optimum food or drink. But whenever doing so, there is always a risk. Regarding sleep, a human or demi-human needs eight hours of sleep each night. It's possible for a character to take sleep in shifts as long as the total amount for the night adds up to eight. Getting fewer than eight hours is the same as no sleep for purposes of the game. And, of course, spellcasters who do not get their full measure of sleep will suffer by not being allowed to refresh their spells. With these baselines in mind, let's consider what happens when a character suffers from depletion. After a day with no water, a night with no sleep, or a week with no food, the character will accumulate a minus one on all hits, damage, and a minus one to movement as well. For each additional night without sleep, day without water, or week without food, an additional minus one is applied. So even though a character can go three days without water, three nights without sleep, or three weeks without food, the penalties for doing so begin to add up. On the other hand, once a character hits that limit on food or water, a constitution check to avoid death is required for each day past the limit. It is possible for a character to survive past the limit of three days without water or three weeks without food, but of course the character will also continue to build up additional minus one penalties, even if the Constitution scores are passed on a daily basis. Hitting the limit with regard to sleep, on the other hand, is not instantly fatal, but the character must make a Constitution check to continue staying awake or else fall asleep on the spot. It is possible for such a character to be awakened by his or her fellows, but the act of doing so causes the character to accumulate an instant and additional minus one penalty. Penalties for deprivation of sleep, food, and water are all tracked separately. Also, all of these penalties stack with one another. For example, 
a character that has gone without food for a week, without water for two days, and without sleep for two days, would suffer a minus five to hit, minus five to damage, and a minus five to the character's movement. Each set of penalties can be alleviated should the character manage to take suitable food, water, or sleep for the day. For example, if a starving character is able to take a full meal, then any minus one penalties that she has accumulated due to lack of food will vanish within 24 hours. She may still carry penalties for lack of water or sleep, although these two can be eliminated once she is able to take a normal day's portion of each of these. Lost in an endless underground maze, deprivation for the tribe is a true and real threat. Will the characters hang on until they can have their needs met, or shall they starve deep underground before any relief may be found? I bid you please, a moment of silence, and perhaps a prayer that the Iron Realm tribe might find their way. You have been listening to The Iron Realm. If you would care to express your appreciation for the show in the form of an email message, write to the Iron Realm Podcast at gmail.com. If you are a skilled illustrator and would like to donate some of your work, both Iron Realm characters and illustrated scenes from the show, for a possible future Iron Realm written guide, submissions are gladly accepted. Please consider submitting your original artwork as a donation to the Iron Realm cause. Finally, support the show by sharing with friends and family so that the legend of the Iron Realm can live on. Thank you all for your support. Tribal Matters It is 3.10 on the first day of Primaris. The characters can be found at 41 across, 23 down, on the first level of the maze. Solus has been reduced to four life points out of eight. Stockholm has been reduced to four life points out of ten. Len has been reduced to three life points out of six. The characters are sufficiently rested and fed. The characters took water yesterday, but have yet to find water today. The characters have no spells available, and characters without night vision are suffering a blindness penalty at this time. In order to protect Len, the characters have assumed a new marching order. In the front, Solus and Echo. Behind them, Stockholm the dwarf. Behind him, Kailana the wizard. Following Kailana is Treya the elf. And bringing up the back, Temek and Len. The center of the marching order is configured in such a way as to allow easy movement for the dwarf or the elf to the front or the back as required. Before moving on, Len decides that she can take the moss that the others discarded and add them to her belt pouch in order to create an herb pouch for herself. There are three measures of moss in Len's herb pouch at this time. Although the kobold meat certainly cannot be saved, the characters are able to obtain a quick meal 
under normal circumstances, consuming raw meat of any kind could definitely bring on sickness. But I'm going to rule that for these characters who have lived in the Iron Realm their whole lives, that their systems are actually immune to the effects of raw meat, provided it is edible at all. Stockholm considers skinning the kobolds in order to make some kind of pelts or clothing, but although they have the daggers, they do not have the other supplies that they need in order to complete the task. Stockholm distributes 20 copper coins to each member of the group who has a free belt pouch. We might need these as a distraction measure, says Stockholm. Some creatures in the Iron Realm are greedy, and a pouch of coins could throw them off our trail. Now that the group has acquired belts, along with their belt pouches, Stockholm demonstrates to them how they can affix their dagger directly to their belts. For each that has a free hand, Stockholm removes some of the remaining meat from the cobalt carcasses. For those things that aren't intelligent enough to appreciate treasure, says Stockholm, a chunk of this dog meat might do the trick instead. For himself and for Solus, Stockholm cuts free a decapitated cobalt head. I bet any kobolds we run into will think twice if they see these, said Stockholm, and through his beard he grins wryly to himself at the thought. The tribe has recovered one additional level point for the copper coins that they have discovered earlier. The characters linger no longer and move on. The tribe is at the center of a T, located at 41 across, 23 down. They exit to the east. They move one square to the east, where the corridor dead ends. The group backtracks and returns to the center of the last crossroads, located at 38 across, 22 down. The characters exit to the east and find a U-turn, which turns north. Exiting the U-turn, they move one square to the west, then one square to the north, then two squares to the east. Next, they encounter an L, which turns to the north. There is a chill breeze blowing through the corridor. Stockholm pauses in order to scratch the corridors into his bicep. As they exit the L to the north, there is a straightaway of six squares. Exiting the straightaway, they come across a U-turn, which bends to the west. As they exit the U-turn, the group travels one square south, one square west, and two squares north. No roaming creatures. The characters are on the square 4111. As they move north, they encounter a straightaway of four squares, then a T with the base pointed south. The characters move to the center of the T, listening carefully for sounds of kobolds or goblins, and then choose the eastern way. The characters move one square to the east, where the corridor dead ends, but in the south wall of that square, there is a door. Echo and Stockholm move forward to check for traps. I'm finding nothing here, whispers the dwarf. And you? Echo silently shakes her head, and then she reaches forward to open the door. The trap has been sprung. Echo is hit by a random spell. It is the spell of illumination. Seemingly from nowhere, 
a globe of light shoots toward her eyes. She tries to dodge. To save herself from the spell, Echo needs a 15 or higher. Echo is stunned to see the globe of light shooting straight at her, where previously there was only darkness. The sudden illumination is terrifying, but she cannot get away. The globe of light is centered inside the front of her skull. The entire tribe is suddenly on their guard, and their eyes dart in all directions, suddenly disoriented. After a moment passes, Solus goes to Echo, and although unnerved at her appearance, that of a girl's body with a small glowing sun atop her shoulders, at last he says to her, Echo, are you okay? Stay away from me, says Echo, flailing with her dagger. Just stay away. In the urgency of the moment, the tribe does not notice that the door which Echo has just opened is slowly creaking wide. Iron Personas. Today on Iron Personas, we are going to get a closer look at Len's background. Len, as you recall, is the human female cleric. Len is 19 years old. She stands 5 foot 9 and weighs 120 pounds. Len the cleric has a strength of 11, a dexterity of 11, constitution of 9, charisma of 11, intelligence of 6, and a wisdom of 14. At level 1, she has 7 life points. Description Len is a young woman of a roughly average build. Her skin is pale white from a lifetime living in darkness. Len has sky-blue eyes and boy-cropped blonde hair. Personality Len is approachable, cool, but friendly. Len usually considers others before herself. She's a thinker and spends a great deal of time reflecting about life and its purpose. Her time in the Iron Realm has made her cautious, but not suspicious. Len makes a good friend and is a dependable ally. Combat Len is not physically strong or fast, but she is tougher than she looks. Len prefers a support role in which she assesses the weaknesses of her group's defenses and helps where she is needed most. Homeland Iron Realm For as long as she can remember, Len has been running and hiding in the total darkness of the Iron Realm. For years, the girl did not know even what vision was, for human eyes are not equipped for sight in pitch-black places. The first few times Len encountered light, she was confused by the new sensation and closed her eyes in order to shut out the random images that she didn't understand. Over time, she started to make sense of it and began to associate light with food, for some of the tribes knew how to make fires which they cooked by. It was the pursuit of food at such a campfire that resulted in her capture by the goblins. Ironically, amongst the captives of the goblin tribe, she encountered other humans for the first time in her young life. These were girls like her, and Len no longer felt alone. One of them, Echo, had spoken words to her in a language she could understand, which was another revelation to Len, who previously did not know that she was capable of speech. Further contact with others of her kind allowed Len to unlock more submerged skills and ideas, things she'd never been aware of before, including her own name and her deep faith in the divine. 
filled with prayer and contemplation, Len became convinced that God had put her here for a reason and given her power to fight against evil. Family. Len can't remember her parents or even her early childhood. Everything before the age of 12 is a blur to her, an unclear jumble of survival and wandering in the dark. Len considers herself to be a daughter of God the Father and a daughter of the goddess Luna. In the world, her party is her true family. She thinks of Solus, Stockholm, and Tumek as her brothers, and thinks of Echo, Kailana, and Treya as her sisters. Len is a little intimidated by Treya, but has a great deal of respect for her. Kailana and Echo she feels personally responsible for, as if she is the older sister. And yet sometimes, she looks to them for affection and approval, as if she is the younger sister. Len would sacrifice anything, even her life, for her chosen family. Current. By the grace of God and with the help of her party, who had all been slaves of the goblin chieftain, Len and her group were able to escape. Len prays that the goblins won't find them, and again she plunges headlong into the dark in search of a safe haven in this dangerous world. The difference now is that she is not alone, and she is confident that, together, she and her companions will be able to survive. The Iron Realm, copyright A. Lorenzo, can be found online at theironrealm.com and at theironrealm.blogspot.com. It seems the thief has been outsmarted, but will the mistake be fatal? Tune in next time for Chapter 7. Thanks for joining me tonight. I have been your maze master, Abel Enzo. Remember, play hard or go home. Iron Rail! Good night, everyone.